We are continuing our study on the book of Romans. We've made our way through Romans chapter 6. I'd like to piggyback a few comments on what Deacon James just mentioned, the visit that we did yesterday to Living Health Center. It's a center that we support and advocate for. Uh, something that the director of the center told us yesterday, two things that were pretty, uh, I mean, mind-blowing, but we kind of already knew. Uh, she told us that for the first time ever, two days ago, she got a call from the FBI directly because there are threats not only on that center and other uh, pro-life centers around the area, but also there's threats on her life personally, okay? So as you can see, when the main sacrifice of the secularist, secularist of the diabolical mindset are in danger, this is how they respond. This is a spiritual battle. The other thing she mentioned is that uh, she knows uh, personally of churches and pastors specifically who have told her they will not make any comment in regards to the overturn of Arby, uh, Roe v. Wade. Once again, I want to make it clear that Acts Reformed Church, we believe that that's a gospel issue. We will not be silent on it. And we will advocate for the life of the unborn unapologetically. If anyone has questions, concerns about that, please speak to me or one of the deacons. But again, we will never be silent on that issue. It is a gospel issue. And we believe that leadership from behalf of godly men is needed in order to stand up to the corrupt, wicked generation that we are facing when it comes to that issue. With that said, if you have your Bibles, please let's then for the reading of God's word as we turn to Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 12 through 14. Romans 6, beginning in verse 12. The authoritative and inerrant word of God reads as follows. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let us pray. Father God, you are worthy of all our praise, of all our worship, of all our thanksgiving this morning and every day. We thank you that your Holy Spirit has inspired the text that we have just read. We pray that you give us understanding, that you give us conviction of what it means not to be ruled by sin. And that would apply specifically, not only in our everyday lives, but specifically in our bodies, in our tangible bodies. May we become servants only to King Jesus. It is in his mighty name that we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. I've titled today's sermon, Servant of Sin versus Servant of Righteousness. 
as we've gone through the book of Romans here in, it's been several months now. I've lost count of how many months we've been in this book. But we took a short pause last week as I was away in Mexico City for a few days. And it happened to be Father's Day, so Deacon James preached a message on honoring fathers. But generally, thus far, Paul has covered God's holiness and man's sinfulness. That's his theme in the book of Romans in which the gospel, God's righteousness, is expounded upon. The way the, that Paul has done it thus, thus far is by covering three main themes. First, he has covered the topic and the theme of condemnation. That is the default state of humanity. To summarize that in one verse, we see Romans 1.18. It reads, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth of God. Okay? Condemnation. This is the state of all humankind. We suppress the truth of God. All the rampant promiscuity, sinfulness, wickedness, idolatry, murder. It is because we suppress the truth of God. We are under condemnation because of our nature, because of our sinful choices. And then Paul moves on to then talk about justification. A humanity that is condemned needs to be reconciled to a holy God. We need justification. That is properly summarized when Paul speaks in Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are condemned, default state. We are in need of redemption. We are in need of justification. And that comes not through the works of the law. Not by claiming innocence because we, did, we were not aware of the law, right? Both Jew and Gentile. But Paul says, by faith, just as Abraham was justified by faith. And now we have opened up this new concept, this new area, this new chapter in the book of Romans, which begins talking about sanctification. This is, we were once condemned, we are now made right with God. In light of that, how should we now live? In our daily lives. Sanctification. That is a passage that we read today. We could summarize that in that way. Of what the instructions are. For someone who is being sanctified. sanctified. So then. Two Sundays ago. I preached on the passage. Preceding what we just read. And what we learned there. Which we must remember in order to make sense of this. We've got to look at the concept of. Being united with Christ, that means that we are separated from sin. So for that, we can summarize as, as follows. This is the context. If a person is united with Christ in his death, then that person will be also united with Christ in a future resurrection. Okay. Secondly, if the old self, if the old man... The old nature has been crucified with Christ. That means that the enslavement to sin is a thing of the past. We can claim victory. We can claim that we are no longer slaves of sin. And because sin no longer has dominion over a person that has been 
regenerated over a person that has been born again by trusting in Christ by faith, then we are dead to sin and we are alive to God in Christ. That is the context in which we come to the passage today. Okay? Given that, given that, there should be a tangible, a visible effect of the Christian life. Okay? Now, let me make a quick note right there. Quick pause. What Paul is not talking about is, I'm going to give you a couple of ways in which you could improve your behavior, in which you could be good so that God can accept you. No, that is not what Paul is saying. This is one of the major ways in which all non-Christian religions go wrong, and even some denominations within Christendom that are confused. Namely, do something. You have to do something in order for God to accept you. You got to check the box of all these to-do lists in order for God to accept you. That is not what Paul is teaching. What Paul is teaching, he's telling us there was an old master. Paul takes an approach in this text to personify sin. He refers to sin as a master, as a evil, tyrannical king. You had an old master, but now because God has granted faith, because you have believed in Christ, you now have a new nature, and that new self that you've been given gives you a new life, gives you new desires, gives you a new mind, gives you a new heart. Out of that nature, out of that new character, you will now see tangible behavioral fruit that you'll be able to see, you'll be able to sense, you'll be able to witness. Okay? So is there good behavior, moral behavior being recommended? Absolutely. But that is the result of. That is not being given to us as the solution to. No, that is the result of us being transformed into a new nature. Is the result of what God has done, not an attempt to become accepted by God. This is what, call, what Paul calls the obedience of faith, looking back to Romans chapter 1, verse 5, in which he proclaims that we are to embrace the obedience of faith is the result of being part of the kingdom of King Jesus. So then, what is Paul's main point of this text? Okay, this will help us guide our mind and our thoughts as we explore this text this morning. Paul is telling us, stop obeying your own master, that tyrannical master that has you enslaved into obeying your sinful nature. Stop obeying that master by giving in to your sinful desires. Rather, start obeying your new master, Jesus, by what you do with your body. Okay? So as we consider the difference between being a servant of sin versus a servant of righteousness, we're going to look at three main points. First, we're going to become aware that we, you, each one of you, you are servants. You are servants to something, someone. What is that? Got to be aware what we are servants to. Secondly, we're going to see Paul's warning and instruction. What should we avoid? 
What should we not do and what we should do? And then thirdly, Paul talks about this great promise that it's a done deal. That he says that we are not under the law, but that we are under grace. And that will help us understand why it is that we are not to be obeying the old master of sin. Okay, so let's take a look at the first point. Let's become aware that we are all servants. We will restate the whole passage here. and We're going to point out certain key words here. The passage which is read, Paul says, Let's not, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought, brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So the words that I've highlighted here, I want to point out that's kingdom language. We should start to realize that this passage is telling us with very specific language that we all serve something. We all serve someone. Everyone is a servant of either Satan the prince of this world, the age of, of this age, the prince of this age, or we are servants of King Jesus. Now note this. No one, nobody is born being a servant or a child of Jesus. Nobody. Because of our fallen nature. Paul already covered that. We are born enemies of God. So if we are born under the curse of sin, then, we must be reconciled to God. No one in their default status has a peaceful relationship with God. My dear children, this applies to you. Zeke, Seti, Nathan, Tyler, all you little ones. You are not born being right with God. As little as you are, you need to be reconciled to King Jesus by trusting in him. And obviously it applies to us. The older folks. So then let's take a quick look at what some of this kingdom language means. First, Paul mentions sin. Right? Nowadays people don't want to talk about sin, right? Well, sin is relatively straightforward. Disobedience to God's commandments. Missing the mark that God has established. Falling short of that standard that God has set. And in this passage, let us be reminded that Paul is personifying sin. He's referring to sin as a master. The supreme master that lures people into continuing to be ruled by sinful passions. Sinful passions. Perhaps a lot of us don't have to think too far back. Of when we disobeyed God and we fell and we obeyed a sinful passion. It's so strong. I'm going to fall right in it. I cannot not do it. And there's no temptation as sinful as it may be that I don't love doing. I regret it later. The Holy Spirit will convict me. But at that moment, not too difficult to remember that we have given in into a sinful passion. 
more about that in a second. Another word that Paul uses is unrighteousness, that is injustice. Failure to adhere to what God requires. Unrighteousness. Then he talks about righteousness, that is justice, doing what God requires. Paul uses the word reign. The word there means to rule, as in a supreme king who rules. Either sin is the supreme king, or Jesus is the supreme king. Paul uses the word obey. This is active obedience. To stay obedient to. So again, is sin the supreme king that we consistently and actively keep obeying? Or is Jesus our king who we actively keep obeying? Then Paul uses the word to present. That word means to offer up, to cause to serve. For further context of how Paul uses this word in the book of Romans, let's take a quick look at Romans 12, verse 1. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This language is talking kingdom language. This is talking about worship. What or who do we worship? Who do you worship? Who are you obeying? A pastor that I was once under used to say, you want to know what rules you? Take a look at your calendar and take a look at your checkbook, at your online account for spending. What do you spend on? What do you spend your time on? What do you spend your money on mostly? And by and large, you will realize that that is what you are serving when you realize what takes up your life, what consumes your life. We are to then present ourselves. This is a worship concept. Present yourselves as we show up, as we make ourselves available to either sin and obey that kingdom or to do righteousness under the supreme kingship of Jesus. Who do we offer ourselves up to? In the way that we do that, we do that with our bodies. We do that with our members, with our mind, with our hearts, which is played out with our bodies. Like, what do we actually do? We are servants. So who is our supreme king? Is it sin or is it Jesus? What overcomes our will and our desires? That impulse to serve sin or the impulse to worship and serve Jesus. Peter, speaking about false teachers who entrap the sheep and that they cannot even keep up with the commands that they're giving the sheep, that means the people, the church, Peter says this, 2 Peter 2.19, it says, they, meaning the false teachers, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. This is again kingdom language. Being enslaved, being a bondservant, being a servant of sin or of Christ. Whatever overcomes a person, says Peter, to that 
he is enslaved. This speaks of being overcome by a superior force, one that we cannot resist. That temptation, that luring is so strong that I just go for it. You know, ah, forget it. Yes, I'm in. The warning then is, if we consistently obey that force, we are under the kingdom of sin. That is the master that we serve if we keep falling into that active obedience to sin. So then we are all servants. Who do you serve? What is it, that major force that overcomes you, that you must obey? Is it being overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit into obeying King Jesus? Because you will not be able to do it on your own. I cannot do it on my own. It must be being overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit. Or is it the power to satisfy your flesh, to satisfy your pride, to satisfy your outburst of anger? Who do you serve? Secondly, we have Paul's warning and instruction. Now that we understood this is kingdom language, that we are serving something or someone, now the warning and instruction comes. What not to do and what to do instead. This is Paul's warning of what not to do. Again, remember, given that you are Christ, that you are in Christ, this is not be good so that Christ will, no. This is because you are Christ. This is the behavior you should be portraying. Romans 6, verses 12 through half of verse 13. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. The warning is clear. Because you are Christ, because you have died with Christ, and you have been united with him in his death, and you have the promise of being united with him in his resurrection, because that is true, we are being told, act like it. Act like it. Sin is not your king that reigns in your mortal body any longer. The entry into the kingdom of Christ has begun already. Many times we are thinking that the kingdom is yet to come. And yes, that's true, right, to some extent. But we got to remember that the entry into the kingdom of Christ has already begun with those of us that have proclaimed faith in Christ, those of us that have been born again. And we get to exercise the benefits of that citizenship. Okay? As we are citizens, for instance, of the United States, if we are in a foreign country and God forbid something, some catastrophe or something happens, we can go to the embassy of the United States and we have benefits that the people around us that are not citizens of the U.S. do not have. In like manner, although we are not yet in the future state of the promised resurrection, we have benefits as citizens, as citizens of the kingdom of Christ. And the biggest one of that is that we are no longer under the enslavement of sin. 
we are to exercise that benefit now. The question then is, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to exercise that benefit of being citizens of the kingdom of God? Why? The simple answer is because the things that this world has to offer appeals to our mortal bodies. The passions of this world seem to attract our flesh. We see a warning in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. It says, Do not love the world or the things of this world. For anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So then our mortal bodies, right? Paul is talking about don't fall for the desires of your mortal bodies. Our mortal bodies, if we are, if we are to be real, our flesh loves the things that this world has to offer. Desires of the flesh, of the eyes, pride of life. So then we see that mortal body loves what is dying. Those things that are passing away. The temporary loves the temporary. That's what John here says, that those are passing. They are transitory. Our mortal bodies tend to love the world that is passing away. So then Paul's warning not to fall for that is twofold. First, be aware of it. Be aware that the luring of the world and our, really our openness to it, to fall for it, is real. And once we become aware of that, then don't let it happen because you have a benefit as a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus that sets you free from being in bondage to it. That's Paul warning to Christians. Christians are not exempt from these temptations. Paul then talks specifically about not presenting our members as instruments of unrighteousness. Okay, let's talk about that now. Where does sin begin? Jesus tells us that in Matthew 15, verse 19. And there's obviously many other passages, but... For the sake of illustration, let's take a quick look at that. In Matthew 15, 19, it says, For out of the heart, out of the heart, come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. Okay? It begins in the heart, in the wicked heart of men. Now, how does sin actually become seen or heard or executed? Let's take a quick look at James 1. 14 through 15. It says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Sin begins in the heart. And that's bad enough, right? Because if we remember the words of Jesus, Jesus tells us that if we thought it and are already engaging in that sin in our mind, we're already guilty. Right? And this was 
one of the arguments used against the Jewish people that thought that just because they didn't act out on the sin they were thinking that they were still fine. And Jesus said, no, you're actually already guilty. If you, would, if you look at a woman with lust, you already committed adultery with her. It begins in the heart. That's bad enough. But nevertheless, because we live in time and space, sin works itself out, out of the heart, into our bodies, and then we execute accordingly. Let's look at two examples of how with our mortal bodies, with our members, we obey and we are enslaved to sin. Two examples. One, our tongue. How do we give in to sin with our tongue? Let's take a look at a couple of scriptures. Proverbs 21, 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Is there a time when after the fact you realize it was better to just not say anything? The tongue. That is a member of your body. And then an excerpt from James chapter 3 <clears throat> reads as follows. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. The tongue. And this is why the psalmist writes as follows in Psalm 141 verse 3. It says, this is a cry to the Lord saying, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. The tongue. I don't have to think that far back to say I fell on that. I was lured by and I had to say something that I shouldn't have said. Not to present our members as slaves of sin. Secondly, the second example, sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. And then Proverbs 6, 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. So, he who does it destroys himself. Right? And by the way, you don't have to be married to commit the sin that's being warned of here. This is all kind of sexual morality. It says we do that, we lack sense, and we're destroying ourselves. So then, can we identify yet how we sin with our mortal bodies? Right? Again, we don't have to think that hard. It's right there. Now, warning, right? Immediately, we could be thinking, oh, yeah, so-and-so, man, or even my husband or my wife, you know, they struggle with these things. As a matter of fact, that may be true. That may be true. You're probably right. But the true question is, what about you? Yeah, your husband may, may struggle with lust. Yet you, as a wife, you may be blind 
to the sin that entraps you, that you are a slave to. And that is, as James mentions, the tongue that is ablaze from hell that you cannot control. Paul says, do not obey the passionate impulse to those sins. To the tongue that sins and to the body that sins sexually. In these two examples that we gave. So then what to do instead? We have the warning. Be aware of it. Paul says, don't fall into it. What to do instead? Romans 6, 13, the second half of it, it reads, instead, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Right? When it says present yourselves, this is worship language. This is bringing an offering up to God. An act of worship. Present a sacrifice to God every day with our bodies, with our members, with our speech, with our actions. This includes everything, my brothers and sisters, everything. The Christian life plays itself out physically. We live in space and time. That includes what we do with our body, how we rest, how we spend our time with our family, how we take care of our bodies, how we eat, how we dress. What kind of stewards are we of our bodies? 1 Corinthians 6.19 reads as follows. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you have ever seen a sign outside of a business that says under new management or under new ownership. The idea is that whoever came and gave that place, you know, a, an uplift, a facelift, what have you. They switched some things around. The idea is, hey, we are better now. Like, come check us out. We have something good to offer you. Similar to that is the life of a Christian with our body, with our temple. Our mind, our, our speech, our, our character, the things that we do. And it's saying, hey, check this out. I was dead, now I'm alive. I was a slave to sin, now I'm a slave to Jesus. And you can come and you can see that by the way that I manage my life, by the way my character presents itself in the everyday living. We were slaves to obeying sin. Now we are slaves to obeying Jesus. We are under, not new management, we are under new ownership. And we have been bought at a price. That is the price that Jesus paid on the cross. When we understand that, the previous examples that we gave, the sin of the tongue, the sin of sexual morality, those can be switched around. And we can say that our tongues then are to be used to first to praise and worship God and honor God and acknowledge God and pray to God and be thankful to God. Then our tongues can be used to edify and to love our neighbors, to speak about the things of the kingdom. To have restraint of our tongue. To have wisdom when we speak. 
to be slow to speak, building up our speech so that it is with salt, as Jesus said. Now, here's a test for all of us. Here's a test. Brothers, sisters, listen up. Next time that we are tempted to say our peace, especially when we are feeling offended or when we're feeling that somebody has wronged us, can you keep your mouth shut? Can I keep my mouth shut? If I cannot, that is a red flag that I'm still being ruled by sin. And the passions to obey that sin are so strong that I need to obey my master. Let us not fool ourselves, my brothers and sisters. If we cannot control our tongue, we are not being ruled by Christ. Now, it doesn't mean that, that you are not being wronged. I'm not saying that. But if our response is to answer in wrath and in an ungodly way, that is an indication that you are not being ruled by Christ. That's for the tongue, now for the body, for our members. The instruction here is that if we are understanding of the fact that we are not to give in to the old master, then sexual sin will be something that we flee from. We will flee sexual morality because we understand that the end of that is death. And essentially, we are believing the lie of Satan that we are going to be satisfied or fulfilled by the temporary passions that our mortal bodies crave. So that was Paul's warning and instruction. Don't do that. Do this. Don't fall for it. Rather, present yourself as an instrument of worship with your body, with your tongue. Granted, there's other examples, but for this illustration in the sermon, I'm giving two main ones, the tongue and sexual morality. All right, the next phase of Paul's text here. He's telling us that we are under grace and we are not under the law. Romans 6.14 reads, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. My brothers and sisters, this is an amazing promise from God himself. The Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to write this. For those who are children of God, the desire, the compulsion, the overwhelming force to be swayed into obeying sin. Paul says that force will have no effect on you. That seems impossible to be honest, right? That's crazy. That's not possible. My friends, is the Holy Spirit lying? No. It is the luring of sin that keeps us from believing this. All that to say that a lifestyle of sin will not be the life of a Christian. We will not be ruled by the master that sin can be. You will have no dominion over us. Jesus, Paul said back in verse 9 that the death of Christ has no lordship over Christ. Now here he's saying that 
Sin has no lordship over those who belong to Christ. So then here, Paul has given the imperative, right? Like this is, this is the warning. This is what you should not do. This is what you should do. He's giving commands. Don't be slaves to sin, but be slaves to Christ. And then here, Paul is given the indicative. Like, why should you do that? Like, why should I obey that? The reason, as indicative, is because you should obey, right? Because of what God has done. God has rescued his children from being slaves of sin. God has established a new covenant, a covenant of grace, of undeserved favor toward us. So that where the demands of the law were a burden, which were impossible for us to keep, those demands have been fulfilled and lifted from us by the perfect work of Jesus, by his perfect life, by his perfect obedience. Now remember, we have clues in the book of Romans that a good chunk of Paul's audience are Jewish people. And as Paul is teaching here through a series of questions, anticipating what some, some questions or objections would be, Paul could be imagining that somebody could say, okay, yeah, okay, I'm Jewish, yes, I'm tracking with you. And aside from that, now I'm also going to try to keep the law so that God can accept me, so that I can be a good Jew. Paul says, no, no. Paul has told them already that the law was not given as a way of deliverance, but rather to shut their proud mouths and to show them that they are accountable to God. That was back in chapter 3. And specifically in verse 20, he told them that the law was given so that they would be aware of the knowledge of sin, but not for deliverance from it. The law will never justify anyone. Therefore, salvation is needed. And that salvation comes by grace through faith. Let us look at Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. It reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So then the rule of sin, the reign of sin, the power of sin comes through us, comes to us because we are unable to keep the law. If we try to do good, if we try to check the boxes, if we try to be accepted by God by obeying his law, we're going to keep failing. We're going to be a slave to sin. We can't stop doing it. It's an endless, endless circle. We cannot do it. Apart from Christ, we cannot stop obeying our desires to sin. We cannot stop breaking God's law. And thanks be to God that by His grace, through the perfect obedience of Christ, we are set free from the bondage of being slaves to sin. And we are instead now slaves of King Jesus. The one who did what was required. And we are under grace, not under the burden of the law. We obey Jesus. We obey His commandments because we are His servants. Not because we are trying to earn a spot in his kingdom. So what are some final thoughts of application then for us today? 
Well, let us consider this. First, are you a child of God who is going astray? Do you belong to the household to the household of King Jesus, but you're hiding? You're hiding in the basement of your old master's house. Paul is warning Christians not to give in to sinful desires, not to live in them. So it is possible, it is possible for a Christian to be going astray. Right? We don't no such thing as sinless perfection. Galatians 5.24 reads as follows. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Okay? So the key here is, if you are a child of God and you're hiding, you're hiding somewhere in the household of your old master, you cannot be happy. As a matter of fact, you're miserable. Okay? In the day to say, I'm not, a, I'm not longer a, a slave. I now belong to King Jesus. The day to realize that is today, right now. Repent of your sin as a child of God. The Holy Spirit will not leave you alone. Holy Spirit will not leave you alone. Plead with God that by the power of His Holy Spirit, which can raise the dead and will raise you at the last day, you would be obedient to him. That you would stop obeying your old master. If you are a child of God, you do not belong hiding in the household of your old master. Secondly, are you perhaps a child of sin who is just wandering around? Just kind of doing the scene, even you know, showing up to church here and there? That means you are not born again. You do not know Christ. You perhaps have little to no regret of your lifestyle, your sin, your disobedience. Or maybe you're even putting on a great show. And you have most of us fooled that you're a Christian. But do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God is not fooled. Do not think that just because you are related to a Christian or that you are doing the church scene that you're fine no repent if you are hearing this if you are alive right now you're breathing you are not far from God's reach God calls you to repent to turn to leave behind your sin your master and to confess your sins to Jesus so that his perfect work and obedience could be given to you he could be your substitute and you can become Part of the kingdom of God. And then lastly, this is a great promise, a great reminder that we are living under the covenant of grace. This is something we rejoice. We rejoice in this. The impossible burden of keeping the law in order for us to be to be made right with God has been fulfilled. In Christ, we cannot do it. Jesus has to do it. So then obeying King Jesus, because we are children of God, gives us the assurance that indeed, it is true. Sin has no more dominion over me. Do I fall? Do I struggle? Yes. But I get up because I'm a child of God. 
Jesus has made that possible through the new covenant, through the covenant of grace. Meaning that we cannot reach up to God. God reaches down to us and rescues us. Let us remember then that as we trust in Christ, as we are born again, as we confess our sins to Jesus, he forgives us. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We become part of his kingdom. If we are part of his kingdom, we no longer belong to the kingdom of sin. That is no longer our master. Let us obey our new master today and turn to him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for you are indeed faithful to remind us that those who belong to Christ are no longer slaves to sin. Lord, for those children of yours that may be hiding in the basement of the old kingdom, of the old king, get us out of there, Lord. For we are miserable there. There's no life in there. And for those that do not know you, Lord, may they come to you in repentance this day, knowing that you are the good and righteous king who loves his children, but who would yet never condone sin. Let us come to you with thanksgiving, for you have given us the covenant of grace that we can rejoice and know that King Jesus reigns. We ask this in his name. Amen.